Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org. The Other Side of Midnight presents... What you're about to hear is not a news broadcast. Perhaps you can help solve the mystery. This is the Murano Mystery. Well, I don't think as we contemplate the next few days when a lot of us are celebrating Easter, I know those of you that are Orthodox are celebrating it next weekend, but as we celebrate and commemorate and think about Easter, I don't think there is a greater mystery to wonder about and to explore than Jesus. So many aspects of his life, so many aspects of his resurrection, and one tangible aspect of his life that people have been talking about and debating about for years, and that's the Shroud of Turin. It's also called the Holy Shroud. It's a length of linen cloth bearing the negative image of a man. Now, a lot of people believe that the image it depicts is Jesus, and they believe the fabric is the burial shroud in which he was wrapped after crucifixion. Somebody that has been studying this and researching this for a long time is a researcher, investigator, producer, and director, Joseph Responti, and he's kind enough to join us in studio. Hey there, Joe. Thank you, Frank. I pre- you came all here. the way in from Jersey to be here. Yeah, it's not really not that far. Well, that's awfully nice. I appreciate you. Uh, I appreciate you being here. So, what sparked your interest in the Shroud of Turin? So, uh, going back to a childhood, uh, my uh, maternal grandparents had a portrait of Jesus in their bedroom, uh, based on the shroud. It wasn't a negative image of the shroud, but it was a based on the negative image that was retouched by an artist. Uh, And it looked very photographic. And this goes back to maybe I'm four or five years old, something along those lines. And I noticed the portrait, and I I asked who that is. And they said, well, that's Jesus. So I said, well, they had cameras back then? And, of course, they laughed. Oh, no, Joseph, you understand. This is a miracle. Jesus left his image on the shroud. Uh, And... Once they told me that, that picture had a, uh, made an impact and had an impression on me that had lasted pretty much my childhood into um, adolescence and going into college, college years. Um, we also lived in, a, in an area called Rutherford, and there was a place called the Holy Face Monastery, which was started by uh, an Italian priest that came over, dedicated to the Shroud and to the teaching of the Shroud so this was a place that was always sort of on the radar, uh, reinforcing the idea that, uh, you know, Jesus had left his image on the shroud. When was the Shroud of Turin first discovered? So when you say first discovered, uh, you know, this is, brings into the whole question about the history of the shroud. Is it really the Shroud of Turin? Because uh, according to the historians, and in particular, a historian that I have been in contact with for well over 20 years by the name of Ian Wilson, that the Shroud of Turin was at one point called the Cloth of Edessa, 
that uh, it was taken from Jerusalem. It was an image, it was a cloth imprinted with the image of Jesus that was brought by one of the disciples by the name of Thaddeus. This was some sometime around 30 A.D. Brought it to Edessa in Turkey. Uh, somehow, according to writings, there was a correspondence between the king, Agbar, and Jesus, and that Jesus had promised to send something to him, that Agbar was sick, he was a leper, and Jesus wasn't going to be able to come, but he promised to send something. Uh, And that something uh, was an image imprinted cloth that the apostle or the disciple Thaddeus brought into the king's chamber. And what he did was he folded the cloth so that only the face of Jesus was showing it. He held it in front of his own face walked into the chamber, and according to the legend, the king was healed. Immediately he saw a bright light coming from the cloth. He then venerated it. He converted to Christianity, and it existed in uh, the city of Edessa uh, sometime between uh, 30 and 200 A.D. When the king died, uh, the the kingdom reverted uh, to pagan religion. At that point, the shroud the cloth of Edessa, was sealed and hidden in the gates of the city, the same gate that was used by the disciple Thaddeus to bring the cloth to Edessa the first place. But there's no mention of the Shroud of Turin in the Bible, is there? So there is no mention of the Shroud of Turin in the Bible. They talk about the linens that were in the tomb. Uh, One possible reason for that was that the, the shroud was taken to Edessa Prior to any of the Gospels being written, uh, that the shroud is believed, the cloth of Edessa, was already sealed in Edessa at the time that the Gospel writers, before the Gospel writers actually, uh, started writing the Gospels, which was around 70 AD. So it wasn't around, really, uh, for them to be thinking about. Uh, It also posed certain problems uh, to Jewish believers. Uh, It had been in contact with a dead body, and it had it bore an image, and those things, both of those things, were taboo uh, for the Jewish uh, believers. But it wasn't in sight. That was the plain answer. So, as I understand it, the first record or mention of the Shroud of Turin is in the 14th century. Is that is that accurate? Is okay. that right? So, um, the first time that it's called the Shroud of Turin is when it's actually transferred. Uh, by uh, Geoffrey de Charnay's family, Margaret de Charnay, the granddaughter, who hands it over to um, the House of Savoy. Uh, the reason for that was that she could not protect it. Uh, the House of Savoy was an established, a very uh, you know prominent family, uh, became the kings of Italy. Uh, she hands over the, shra- the the cloth that she received from. Geoffrey de Charnay, who got it from the Middle East. Exactly when and how he got it is not exactly known. But it is known that this cloth that was in Edessa was imprinted with the face of Jesus, the body of Jesus, showing his wounds. It's written about, uh, it's a historical record, uh, that a cloth, basically the same as the Shroud of Turin, existed prior to it becoming Mm. the Shroud of Turin. 
Now, uh, if people are just tuning in, by the way, uh, we're talking with Joseph Responti. He's been studying and researching the cloud, the Shroud of Turin for many years. And uh, he's won a lot of awards uh, for his work on television, including Best Religious Series, Best Single Program, Best Special Event. He's received a bronze medal from the New York Film Festival for his work as an advertising agency producer and uh, as, as a forthcoming documentary, which we'll tell you about when it's ready to be released, uh, all about the, uh, the Shroud of Turin, which uh, I've seen a preview of and is uh, certainly pretty interesting, gives you a lot to think about. Now, as I understand it, Joseph, the Catholic Church, it neither endorses nor rejects the Shroud of Turin. Is that accurate? Yes, that's exactly true. Uh, The Shroud of Turin was the property, of again, of the House of Savoy. It became the King of Italy. It was the property of the King of Italy. Uh, It was kept in the royal palace, but there was a chapel that was built. So it wasn't technically in the cathedral, but it was in the royal palace. When the king was exiled uh, before his death, he uh, bequeathed it to the Pope. So it technically became the property of the Pope. But uh, the Catholic Church has never come out and said, this is the true burial cloth of Jesus. Um, They take a neutral position where that's concerned. So where is the Shroud of Turin today? So right now, if you go to Turin, and I was just there in January, you go to the Cathedral of St. John the Baptist, uh, you go towards the front altar and to the left side of the church, you will see a large, what looks like an altar, covered with a red cloth. Uh, in there is the shroud. It is stretched out um, inside uh, a case with inert gas to prevent it from being exposed to the elements. Uh, it's covered, and it's basically not on display, but it's, it's resting in that spot. And uh, have you been there and seen? I, have seen, you seen the the actual shroud? I know you've been to Turin, and yes, uh, but you've seen the shroud of Turin. I, I saw the shroud in two thousand and ten. I saw it again in two thousand and fifteen. Um, I was invited to the final mass at the end of the exposition in two thousand and ten, and got a very close look uh, at the shroud uh, during that time. And again in two thousand and fifteen. Now the images that we've seen of the shroud uh, does it look that way in person are you able to clearly see an image of a face in person when you see absolutely it? now you, you have to uh, keep in mind that the shroud image that you're probably familiar with is the is the negative image which is actually a photograph of the positive of the the cloth itself so the the image on the cloth is actually a negative so when it was photographed, the negative became a positive. I see. So that, that's the one you probably see and, and think about. But uh, the fact is that the shroud is a like a 14-foot piece of linen. Uh, it has the image of a man, full uh, image of a man, uh, head-to-head, the front and the back, displayed on the same cloth. And throughout the top and the bottom is a border of, of basically burn marks and holes that were created by the fire in 1532, uh, where it was almost destroyed. So, yes, you can clearly see the image, uh, but it takes some doing 
uh, to actually be able to focus and see the image. But once you do, it's unmistakable. Now, I, I know that back in the 1980s, there was some radiocarbon dating done on the shroud to determine the age of the shroud. And if, if I understand correctly, the radiocarbon dating found that it was not from the early 20th century, they found that it was from the Middle Ages, from between the years 1260 and 1390. Correct. That would seem to indicate that the Shroud wasn't from the time of Jesus. But do, do you doubt that science? Yeah. Well, let's, 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 let's look at the science, though. You know, um, and this was one of the things that uh, I was in advertising at the time. It was 1988, and I was walking down the street, and on the street corner newsstand, I see the New York Times with a bold headline, The Shroud Proven to be a Fake. Uh, you read the article, and, and the article goes on to tell you how they radiocarbon dated it, and uh, it came up with those dates, and now there can't be any more, uh, you know, uh, thought that the shroud could be genuine and that those that once believed it was are like the people that thought at one point that the world was flat. Okay, so... Uh, so you're in the category, uh, if you believe the Shroud is genuine, of a flat earther. Well, so yeah, according to the New York Times, you know, and, and I grew up in a house that quoted the New York Times mm -hmm. like the Bible, you know. Uh, it was a legitimate source of information. But as I then started to look into it and came in contact with experts like Ian Wilson, the first thing that he pointed out was that any, uh, you know, radiocarbon dating laboratory worth its salt would not even allow cigarette smoking near an object that was to be carbon dated. And that's because it can contaminate the, uh, the subject. And here the shroud was in a very serious fire, was, mm. was partially damaged, was doused with water. Uh, that carbon-laden uh, smoke, you know, was, uh, had really uh, impregnated the cloth. So it was not really a good subject for radiocarbon dating. Now, I also spoke to the forensic expert in Italy who was there at the time that they did the carbon dating, and he said that scientifically the procedure was a mess. Everything that they did was, was probably done incorrectly, including the gathering of the control cloth that was supposed to be used. Uh, they actually told the laboratories, here's the control cloth that dates to such and such a date. Well, you, you're not supposed to do that. You're you let them come up with the date. So, but other than that, I mean, they they went in. The cardinal went in with uh, the radiocarbon dating uh, laboratory uh, representative. They selected the worst spot, which was down at the at the corner where it had been handled the most. And so, uh, if you want to look at the science of it, the science wasn't done correctly. You know, radiocarbon dating can produce good results, but it has limitations. But the New York Times never told you that, nor did anyone else. We're talking with Joseph Responti. He is a uh, Shroud of Turin scholar, expert, documentarian. He's uh, met with uh, Shroud scholars all over the world as part of his work. So in your view, you believe the Shroud of Turin is genuine, and that is Jesus's face. Absolutely. I mean, uh, you know, again, it all boils down at some point to faith. You have to take a leap of faith of what you're looking at, but all of the facts and all of the information uh, makes it very, very hard to, to believe anything else, you know, when you consider it. 
um, you know, there is something about that image that is unmistakable, and it is unlike anything else in the art world or any other image that, that exists on Earth. Uh, no one has been able to figure out how the image was created. Uh, all of the forensic evidence seems to indicate that it does really date back much farther than what the radiocarbon dating, uh, you know, suggests. If people want to call in with questions for Joe, they can uh, reach us at 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Now, your your documentary, which I've gotten a preview of, it begins in 1997, essentially, right. the events in 1997. What's happening and happened in Shroud World from 1997 to the present day? So 1997, of course, was the fire uh, that broke out in the Royal Chapel uh, and the rescue of the shroud, which was done by... There's a lot of speculation that was arson, right? So they haven't really ruled out arson, for sure. Um, you know, and I spoke to the director of the Shroud Center, and I said, well, you know, what do you think? Do you think it was arson? And they said, well, if, if it was... He didn't think that the shroud was the target mm-hmm. because it was, he said, common knowledge that the shroud had already been moved out of the royal chapel where the fire started. The shroud was in the cathedral at the time. So uh, you have an off-duty fireman who basically isn't supposed to be working. His wife sees smoke uh, from the balcony of their home, brings it to his attention. He decides to go there. Uh, when he gets there, he finds that the situation is pretty bad and that uh, the dome could collapse and jeopardize the existence of the shroud. And at that point, he believes that their action has to be taken. Mm. The shroud is trapped in a bulletproof case. Long story short, he breaks through the case, removes the, the shroud. Uh, at that point, the shroud is taken to safety. Uh, conservation efforts now start to... Uh, unfold that had already been in the works. Uh, the shroud is um, basically the backing is pulled off. The patches that were put on during the 1500s are all taken off. Uh, and the shroud is now encased in this uh, inert uh, case so that, uh, you know, it, it, it can be preserved. Uh, essentially, it's then exhibited. Um, there's no really additional research in terms of carbon dating, but a lot of more research and a lot of historians uh, and information is still being gathered. A few years ago on Holy Saturday, I know they made it available for viewing on the Internet. Is there anywhere that you would direct people uh, if they're interested in seeing the best images of the Shroud of Turin to go online? Yeah, so there is a couple. Uh, Barry Schwartz has one. Uh, who was one of the photographers from the Shroud of Turin Research Project. Uh, There's another one by the photographer Vernon Miller. Uh, I think it's called Shroud.com, and those have some really fantastic images, positive-negative images uh, that you can view, and uh, and those are uh, available, I think, uh, without charge for people that you know, want them for various purposes. Mm, uh, no, that's uh, that's interesting. All right, 800-848-WABC. That's 800-848-9222. If you have questions for Joe about the uh, Shroud of Turin, let's say hello to Joe in Queens. Hello, Joe. Yeah, yeah, Joe. So uh, I have two questions. One would be, like, how did you source the writings about the Shroud, and was it 
was there an attempt to publicize it through the ages by the church, uh, as they might have done with some other relics, so-called relics, uh, like with St. Peter, I think there was relics of him that they did publicize. I don't know to what degree. So, um, as I mentioned, I, I'm really not a an expert in the sense that I went and researched these documents, but I have been in contact with the historian Ian Wilson, and he is the one that went and read the original uh, Greek and Latin and French and whatever language uh, these ancient documents were written in. He did the research. Uh, he drew the material from that, and that's been published uh, so that's really been a, my source material, not the, the documents themselves. Uh, in terms of the church, like I, uh, I said earlier, the church takes a very neutral stance. Uh, there was a priest uh, in Portchester uh, that had developed a shroud center, and uh, his name was Father Peter Rinaldi. He wrote a book. He was the first person to publish a book on the shroud, uh, being a priest, but he was also a, a, a scholar uh, but I think that's the closest there might be to the church publishing anything or admitting anything, uh, you know, regarding the shroud. And so the fellow that saved the shroud from that fire in 1997, Mario Tramatore, I mean, it's a really uh, heroic thing he did from a global historical perspective, isn't it? Absolutely. Uh, you know, the the really fascinating thing for me was that this fire in 97 was almost identical to what happened in 1532 when the, the shroud was almost destroyed, but it was rescued by a blacksmith. And the, the, the same thing happened here, in this case, rescued by a fireman. Um, you know, I went to Turin to meet him, to, to hear about his story directly. Uh, and it, is, it was definitely a heroic act because there was marble and pieces of the dome that were falling in mm. the vicinity where he was working. Uh, and he was told that basically you, you can die doing this. Uh, and uh, they were trying to come up with a way to not, uh, you know, go that route. But according to him, that's what they had to do. What is the next step in sort of exploring the mystery of the Shroud of Turin? Or are we left basically where we are now in perpetuity? I know there was some attempts to extrapolate the image and uh, piece together the face of what Jesus might have looked like based on the image that's captured in the Shroud of Turin. But w- what's next in Shroud of Turin? Scholarship, exploration, curiosity. Well, uh, that's a good question. I'm probably not the, the most qualified to answer that, but uh, the Church would have to give, the Pope in specifically, would have to give permission to continue to do some kind of research, maybe another uh carbon dating or another type of dating, uh, something along those lines. I I think that the research that's being done now has to do with the image itself. There have been these uh, 3D, um, you know, creations uh, based on the the shroud image uh, that's been going on. Uh, So, uh, you know, I don't don't really know what the next step is, but, um, you know, there's a lot of evidence that's still out there that really people are not aware of. Let me squeeze in one more quick call here. Tom is in Manhattan. Hello, Tom. Yeah, Frank. Thanks for the call. I'm sure your guest knows Barry Schwartz uh, well. Barry Schwartz has done so much work on it since the 70s up to now. His site, you mentioned it, Shroud 
com. They used uh, what they call a VP8 analyzer. There was a physical interaction with the body and the cloth when Jesus was resurrected. And to create that image, you would have needed like billions of watts. And that proves that it was something other than mere mortals that created it. And again, the blood type on it is AB, and that's been verified. Right. Yeah, the, the blood has been verified. And what's the significance, and thank you, Tom, what's the significance of that, of the blood, of the blood type? Well, I mean, it's the, the fact that it is the most common type in the Middle East, but the fact that it can be identified as blood, I think, is the real, is the real thing. Uh, regarding the, the VP image analyzer, that was John Jackson, uh, who was a physicist who used to work with NASA. Uh, he's the one that took a photograph of the shroud that possibly Barry took and put it through the uh, image analyzer, and it created a three-dimensional image, which most photographs won't do mm. that. Mm. Um, but Barry, Barry is one of the photographers. Uh, I'm not sure if I have his website right, but Barry Schwartz and Vernon Miller are, are the two probably most prominent. Absolutely fascinating. Uh, Joe, I really appreciate the time this morning. appreciate you making the trip all the way in from New Jersey. W- let's do this again when the documentary is out. Absolutely.